0: with uh, the book of Proverbs and it's been a lengthy study but uh, really that's due to so many of the verses being so every verse is a statement for after chapter 10 and uh, and so it's been a a long study uh, but I believe it's been a good study I've enjoyed it and I hope you've enjoyed it and I hope it's been a help and a blessing to you Uh, Proverbs chapter number 30 in verse number one, uh, these are not—they're not statements individual like the previous proverbs. Matter of fact, we'll see this uh, in the beginning here, and we'll kind of get into the introduction of this. But the Bible says in Proverbs chapter number 30, in verse number one, the words of Agur, the son of Jake, even the prophecy the man spake unto Ithiel, even unto Ithiel and Ukal. Surely, I am more brutish than any other than any man, and have not the understanding of a man. I neither learned wisdom nor have the knowledge of the holy who hath ascended up into heaven or descended, who hath gathered the wind in his fists, who hath bound the waters in a garment, who hath established all the ends of the earth? what is his name, and what is his son's name? If thou canst tell, every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. Add thou not unto his words, lest he reprove thee, and thou be found. A liar, And let's stop right there and you notice right away that that's not the same as the Proverbs that we had been studying with the individual verses. And so we're going to look at these six verses this evening and uh, and see what the Lord really has for us in these verses. And uh, before we get into the message, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you again for uh, the privilege that we have to be in your house. Father, what an opportunity and what a privilege really to be uh, here and, and God, though few in number, Uh, God, we're grateful that we can meet with you. And, Father, you said that where there are two or three, that there you are in the midst. And, God, we ask that you'd meet with us. God, we ask that you would bless. I pray that you'd encourage. I pray that you'd strengthen each and every believer, Father, that's here. And, Father, we'll certainly thank you for that. And, God, I pray that you'd bless the service. I pray that you'd use me. I pray, Father, that you'd speak through me and uh, help us to get everything out of this passage that we can. And God will thank you for that and we'll give you the honor and glory for all that's said and done. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. As we look at this, uh, the first verse tells us uh, the words of Agor. Uh, Ager. I, I don't know how to say these names, to be honest with you, and I pronounce everything with a Spanish uh, flair on everything, so uh, I probably pronounce them different than you've heard them before. But uh, but the Bible says the words of Ager. Now, who's Ager? Uh, matter of fact, we have Ager, we have his father, uh, Jakey, uh, and then we have Ithiel, and you count. And uh, and we're saying, man, who are these people? Uh, and and honestly, uh, you're asking the same questions that I was asking, and and a host of other people before me have asked the same questions. And the answer to that question is, nobody knows. And is isn't that, isn't that deep. Uh, they don't show up in scripture anywhere else. Matter of fact, Agar doesn't show up at all in scripture. Uh, Jakey, his father, does not show up anywhere. Ithiel shows up one other place, and uh, it was either Lamentations or Jeremiah, but uh, it's, it's not even the same guy because it's in a string of names, and it tells who his father is, and it's not the same guy here. And so we really don't know. The Bible doesn't give us a lot of detail about who they are. But we can know this, that Agur is the guy that is speaking. He's the guy that is teaching uh, this passage. And as the Bible says there, uh, even the prophecy. Now what does that mean? Uh, That basically means that he is saying, thus saith the Lord. And he's proclaiming, he's preaching what God has given him. And so we understand that Agur is the one teaching. Now, Ithiel and Ukal, uh, who are they? We don't know. They could be his students. They could be his friends. They could be his sons. We really don't know uh, what relationship they have with, with Ukal, or with Agur, rather. Uh, but we do know that he is speaking unto them. And so that's the basics. We don't know a lot about it, but we do see a lot of interesting things in these passages. And I do want us to understand this, though we don't know who they are, um, we do know this, that God has preserved this chapter in his Bible. And so uh, regardless of who they are, we know that this is important. And God kept it in here for a reason so that we can learn from it. uh, And it is part of his word. And so we do understand that as we look at this, uh, we're going to find out a little bit about about Agur. So look with me in verses 2 and 3. We have the introduction there in verse number 1 that's talking about who he is. But in verses 2 and 3, he really expounds on uh, the inadequacy of man or the inadequacy that he felt. Uh, As we read this, look with me in verse number 2. The Bible says, Surely I am more brutish than any man, and have not the understanding of man. I neither learned wisdom nor have the knowledge of the holy. Uh, Right in the very beginning, as Eger starts teaching, he's saying, listen, uh, I'm I'm a rather brute fellow. Uh, And on top of that, uh, I don't know a whole lot. Uh, and, and I don't have knowledge or wisdom. And I don't have knowledge of the holy. Those are basically what he's saying there in his introduction. And, uh, and as he's showing, he's showing his own inadequacies. And I wanna, I'll say this. Uh, I think they were probably how he maybe felt. Uh, Or very well could be that he was was making himself seem small because he didn't want, hey, don't look at me as a person, but rather look at the wisdom that God gives us in his work. And so he's kind of removing himself aside and and maybe if I could say it this way, hiding behind the cross, though he didn't have the cross, hiding behind the wisdom of God and saying, hey, I don't want you to look at me, but I want you to see the wisdom of who God is. And so just for a few moments, I want us to see the inadequacies uh, of man as we look at this. He says in verse number two there, surely I am more brutish than any man. And I looked up that word brutish, as I usually do. I look up every word and I say, what does that mean? And I thought brute meant, uh, you know, meaning bold, not bold, but um, crude. Uh, You know, somebody who is like an elephant in a china shop. That's kind of how I would describe brutish. But as I looked it up, uh, I found out that it actually means uh, somebody that's not interested in learning. Somebody that does not want to be corrected or reproved. Go with me, save your spot here in Proverbs chapter 29, and, or verse chapter 30 rather, and go with me to Proverbs chapter 12, just back a few, few pages, I want you to see this verse. And we find that not only is the dictionary define it that way, but the Bible uses it that way, specifically here in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 12 and verse number 1. Proverbs 12, 1 says, "...whoso loveth instruction loveth knowledge." but he that hateth reproof is brutish. In other words, somebody that does not, will not be corrected and uh, and is not interested in being corrected. And so I wrote down there that uh, that the inadequacies of man is is that they're without correction. And somebody that's not interested in learning, somebody who maybe has opportunity uh, but but will not be corrected or maybe they're just stubborn and they're hard-headed. And so Agur is defining himself, describing himself as somebody that is very hard-headed, without correction. Maybe he's learned, uh, but he's a, he just is a slow learner, and he doesn't take lessons very well. And, and so he's saying, hey, I'm, I'm more brutish. Uh, I am more brutish than any man, he describes himself. And so I put down without correction. And then look there at the second phrase. He says, and have not the understanding... Of man. What's the understanding of man? Well, that's basically um, relationships with other people. Uh, the more you spend time with other people, uh, the more you, you learn uh, about people. And, uh, and having been in, in South America and in Italy and, uh, and here around the States, I can tell you this, that people are people the world around. People like to laugh, whether they're in America or whether they're South American, whether they're European, uh, it doesn't matter. They like to laugh. They, like to, they enjoy humor. They enjoy things. Now everyone's a little bit different in, in those areas, but people are people. And we find that in the second phrase, he says, in the first phrase, I am more brutish. In other words, I'm without correction. But in the second phrase, he says, uh, I am, or, or have not the understanding of a man. And I, I put down there uh, that he's without comrades. Because the more you interact with people, the, the more natural it comes. The less you interact with people, the less it becomes uh, natural to you. Uh, I, I ran into, I've run into people, and, uh, and you can tell people, some people are just, uh, they're backward, they're, they're shy. And I don't mean that in a mean way, but they're just, they're not outgoing people. Matter of fact, uh, the group of people that they would spend time with uh, is very few. I mean, they they just don't have very much, uh, maybe it's because of experience, maybe it's because of life, maybe it's because of whatever. Maybe it's because they live in the sticks of the mountain and they don't get exposure to other people. And, uh, and they're a little bit awkward around other people because they don't really know. And so I put down here that uh, he was out without comrades because he didn't have the influence. He didn't have the understanding of other people spending time with them and, and, uh, and learning from other people. So I put down that he's without correction. He's without comrades. Look with me in verse number 3. He says, I neither, I neither learned Wisdom. And, uh, and that's, I put down, without comprehension. Uh, the whole idea of the book of Proverbs, uh, going back to Proverbs chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, says, to know wisdom and instruction to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity. And the book of Proverbs is so that we can learn wisdom. And listen, sometimes people are taught, uh, and sometimes... I'm taught a lesson, and, and, and you know what? I don't always get it the first time around. Um, that's, why stu- that's why teachers, all teachers, all good teachers know that repetition is the key to learning. Did you know in kindergarten they teach you one thing, and then in first grade they teach you the same thing they taught you in kindergarten? Again. And then in second grade they teach you the same thing they taught you in first grade. And then third grade, they teach you the same thing they taught you in second grade, but they teach you a little bit more each time. And you go back and you constantly relearn. Why? Because we don't always pick things up the first time around. And uh, and how many times people will uh, will explain something to you. Maybe you're real proficient in, in one area. Maybe you're really good at something. And you take that one thing and you say, man, I'll show you how to do it. And you go, uh, you go, here's how you do it. You do this, 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 this. All right, you got it. You got the lesson. See ya. And that person's like, well, what was the first step? And they don't get it. And, and so Agar is saying, listen, I, I was without comprehension. I don't understand all the wisdom of the lessons that I've been giving, uh, that I have been given, and they didn't all soak in. He said, I'm without comprehension. And then he says there in the last phrase, he says, nor have the knowledge of the holy. And I thought about that as I was looking at that. And I, at first I thought, well, he doesn't know who God is. But as I looked at it again, I, I don't see that holy is capitalized. So as I looked up the the holy in the, in the Bible, uh, I found out that it means uh, the holy place. It means the holy things. It means the holy garments. It refers to a lot of things that God uses that holy for and describes many things. And so as I read that, uh, I thought, you know, Agar probably was somebody that didn't have a whole lot of cognizance of holy things. He probably did not have opportunity to learn the word of God growing up. I was uh, talking with somebody this week, and and uh, that the Lord brought into my path really. And and uh, and I was as I was talking with him, he 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 grew up a whole different life than I did. I grew up in church. I grew up in the nursery. I was in the nursery of, of, of Baptist churches, and, and I can't remember a day in my life not going to church. I just, that's just the way I grew up, and, and I'm grateful for that. Uh, this guy, on the other hand, he told me, he said, you know, at, at 12 years old, he had already seen dead bodies uh, of friends that had been killed on the streets, and, uh, and, and just a totally different lifestyle that, uh, that's just totally different. And, and maybe Agar was one of those persons that did not have opportunity to learn the Word of God. Not everybody does. And so we find that he was without cognizance of holy things. And what am I saying in all of that? Agar is saying, listen, uh, that I feel very inadequate as a man. But at the same time, Agar was preaching the word of God and God was using Agar. And so we understand that, hey, uh, in all of our inadequacies, God is able to use us in many ways. Let's go on and see what Agar has to say. Not only do we see the inadequacies of man, look with me in verse number four. He talks about the immensity of God. Verse number four, he says, "...who hath ascended up into heaven or descended?" Who hath gathered the wind in his fists? Who hath bound the waters in a garment? Who hath established all the ends of the earth? What is his name and what is his son's name if thou canst tell? In verse number four he shows us the immensity of God. He confronts man's wisdom. As you look at those questions he asks, I love, I love questions in the Bible. When I read those, uh, boy, they really stand out as the same question, not the same, but very similar questions. In Job chapter number 38 and 39, uh, jo- uh, God comes to Job after his friends have already talked with him, and, and God comes to Job and says, hey, uh, were you there when I formed the earth? And he goes through a whole series of questions that he asks Job, and he's grilling Job with all these questions, and, and basically the answers are, uh, you know, only God knows all of that stuff. And as we look at these questions, look at the things that he's asking. He's confronting man's wisdom. He said, who hath ascended up into heaven or descended? And that's not something that man can do. Uh, oh, we can send a man to the moon. Yes, we can send a man to uh, different, different planets or, or out there in space. But I tell you what, we can't send a man to heaven and bring him back. That's not possible. We don't have the ability. That's not something that man can do. And so yet he's saying, hey, who, who hath ascended up into heaven or descended? And, and the answer to that, the very clear answer uh, in all of man's wisdom says, well, A, that's not possible. Or B, if we look at the word of God, it has to be God. There's no other answer to that. The Bible says in John three thirteen, No man hath ascended up into heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. So we know, hey, no man can get up to heaven. No man can come back to earth. But yet God himself is able to do it. And so it's displaying the power of God in the face of man's wisdom, saying man's not wise enough uh, to be able to do that. But God is. Look at the next question. Who hath gathered the wind in his fists? I, I got to thinking about this, and I, I got to looking it up because I enjoy science. So I said, where, where does the wind come from? What does science say the wind, uh, where does the wind come from? And science will explain to you that there's a change in atmospheric pressure, and so where there's a high pressure, uh, it will drive the wind to another one. Uh, a good example of that is if you had a balloon, you blow that balloon up and you tie it, and you squeeze on one side, all the air is going to go Where? To the other side. Because you put a high pressure on that side, it's all going to move to the other side. And so the atmospheric pressure is the same idea, but then who controls that? I got to looking that up, and they said temperature, and, and they'll never attribute it to God. They'll, they'll do everything to, to explain away, and not everything is bad in science. Their explanations are not always bad, but but oftentimes they're ignorant and willfully ignorant of what the Bible says. Go with me to Exodus chapter 3. 10. I want you to see this in the word of God. I love this. As he's asking, who hath gathered the winds? Exodus chapter number 10. In Exodus chapter number 10, the nation of Israel is in uh, bondage to Egypt. And as we read this, Exodus chapter number 10 and verse number 13, God is about to send a plague into Egypt. And he says there in Exodus chapter number 10 and verse number 13, he says, and Moses stretched forth his rod over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind upon the land all that day and all that night. And when it was morning, the east wind brought the locusts. You know what God did? God reached down, touched the earth, touched the bubble, and it made a high pressure that pushed all the wind over to Egypt. That's what God did. He didn't even have to touch it. He could just think it. And know it would take place. What, what was God doing? God controls that wind. Go down to verse number 13, or verse number 19, excuse me, verse number 19. After the plague of the locust, the Bible says, "...and the Lord turned a mighty strong west wind, which took away the locusts and cast them into the Red Sea. There remained not one locust in all the coast of Egypt." If you were to trace that down, you could go to many other passages, but Exodus chapter 14, as they're crossing the Red Sea, the Bible says, And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. We go back to our our verse in Proverbs chapter 30 in verse number 4. He says, Who hath gathered the wind? in his fists. And I tell you what, with all the wind that I got and all the air that I got as a preacher, I can't cause a wind. I can't cause it to blow. I don't have the power. I don't have the wisdom, but God has the power. God has the wisdom. God holds all of that in his hands. And and at the mere thought, he can cause the winds to blow to the east. He can cause the winds to blow to the west. He can cause the winds to blow to a certain spot that would would part the Red Sea and that would dry it all out and make it dry ground. And I'm just saying that the answer comes back resoundingly that, hey, this is an act of God. This is God. He's the only one that can do that. Man in all of his wisdom is inadequate, but God is all-powerful. And we see that in this passage. Look at the next question. He says, who hath bound the waters in a garment? As I read that, I, I thought, well, what does that mean? And, and uh, the more I thought about it, I, I thought, you know, as the only way man can express the ability to hold water would be they had uh, uh, animal skins that they would, they would use and they would put water in them. And so that's kind of the idea and the thought behind it that who would uh, who's able to put water and and hold them in that in that in those skins and and to do that and and basically he's talking about the rains and listen the only one that's able to do that is God. You go to uh, you don't have to go there but Genesis chapter seven and verse number four when God flooded the whole earth he said God sent the rain. You go to Genesis chapter 8 and verse number 2 and he says it again. God caused the rain to stop. And so uh, you can find verse after verse after verse where God will withhold the rain and God will send the rain. And who's able to do that? Well, man's not able to control the rain. But God is able to control those things. And so as he reasons down through there, he's saying in verses 2 and 3, uh, listen, I'm inadequate, but God is all-powerful. He's able to control the wind. He's able to control the, the rain. He's able to ascend up into heaven and to descend down to the earth. And, and not only that, but he ends the question with, and who had established all the ends of the earth? Well, that's obvious that that's God. We could go all the way back to the book of creation, and we find that the answer to who, 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 is God every single time and man's not able to do those things and he's expounding on on the the greatness of who God is and he's saying, hey, God is a, is a, uh, a, a great God but he doesn't stop there and I love this and we see not only the confrontation of man's wisdom but the conclusion he says, what is his name? Well, it has to be God every time has to be the Lord God Jehovah uh, that is, is God of everything. And, but he doesn't stop there. I love the next question that he asks, and he goes on and he says, What is his son's name if thou canst tell? You say, Well, why is that, why is that so important? Listen, there's Old Testament passages. We just went through Christmas. We, there's Old Testament passages that point forward to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And not only that, but when you see in the Old Testament, you'll see uh, the angel of the Lord with a capital A. And oftentimes that is, the, that is Jesus Christ preexistent in, 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 uh, in the Old Testament when he would come down as the angel of the Lord. And at one point uh, he appears to somebody and they said, hey, what is your name? And he doesn't tell them. He says, I'm not going to tell you what my name is. You don't need to know what my name is. And, uh, and that was Jesus Christ pre-incarnate before he had come to this earth. But then the Bible says in Isaiah 7:14 verses we know because of Christmas. Therefore the Lord himself shall give, a so- give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And Emmanuel is God with us. We find that uh, that that hey, he's asking hey, what is God's son's name? And he's interested because he knows, hey, that God is going to have a son, uh, and he's going to send him to the world. Isaiah 9, 6, For unto you us a child is born, uh, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of of, of Peace. And he's talking about the fact that, hey, Jesus Christ is God in the flesh and is God's son. I love the fact that in the book of Proverbs, hey, he points that out. And he says, hey, there is coming the very Son of God. And in chapter, or verse number four, we find that he's referring to the immensity of how big God is and how wonderful God is that he would send his own Son uh, to this world. What a wonderful uh, thought there in verse number four as he says, hey, I may be small, but God is big. And God is able to use man Not because man is inadequate, but because God is so big and God is so able. We go on, not only is God able and not only is God immense and big and and all powerful, but look with me at verse number 5 and 6. We see not only the the immensity of God in verse 4, but we see the importance of God's word. Look with me in verse number 5. He says, every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. Add thou not unto his words, lest he reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. We find the importance of God's word. We find uh, the first one there is the purity of God's word. Sometimes we say things that we regret. Sometimes we make mistakes. I I do all the time. When you talk as much as I do, you're going to say something you're going to say, man... I wish I hadn't have said that, or I wish I had said it this way, or I wish I had said it a little bit different. And, and sometimes we just regret things that we say because we're human. Um, sometimes we misspeak, and, uh, and we, we, we don't say what we mean to say. We think we said what we meant to say, but it didn't come out right, and, and we misspeak. You know something? God never regrets anything he's ever said. God never regrets anything. Or, or, or never misspeaks. Could you imagine having a track record like that? Man, that'd be wonderful if we could do that. We can't do that, but God can. And the Bible is very clear that every word of God is pure. Now I have to say this because we live in 2022. It is not saying every Bible is pure. Okay, there's a lot of Bibles out there. The NIV, the ESV, the ASV. Uh, those that stands for the English Standard Version, the American Standard Version, the New International Version, the New King James Version. You go on and on and on. Uh, all the different versions of the Bible that they have made listen that's not what this verse is saying it's not saying that those are all good uh, but it's saying that hey this the King James Bible every word is pure it is the inspired word of God for us and we don't need a new Bible It amazes me. I know I've covered this before, but I will forever be amazed at how many Bibles we continue to produce in English different than what we already have uh, when there are languages and there are groups of people that don't even have a single verse translated in their language. And they say, well, it's, It makes it easier to read. No, it doesn't make it easier to read. You know what it is? The bottom line is they get a copyright on it and they're making money off of you and I. That's, well, not us because I don't buy them. I hope you don't either. But they're making money off of people. That's their whole goal. That's what they want to do. And so they're making a bunch of money, but it's not the word of God. Matter of fact, God is very clear that every word of God is pure. Uh, But he goes on and he says in the second part of verse number six, rather, he says, add thou not unto his words, lest he reprove thee. They have twisted what God has said. I, I was looking at it today, and uh, I didn't have a lot of time, but I, one of my friends had asked me about a, a particular version, and so I was looking up a little bit of verses about that one, and, and just comparative. And and when you take the Word of God, our English King James Bible, and you compare it to another Bible, uh, I've got a, a book on my shelf that says there are 8,000 differences just in the New Testament uh, that, that you can go through and look at, and you can study the differences you You pull this verse up and say, oh, this reads different. And most of them, the majority of the new texts that are coming out have an attack on the deity of Jesus Christ. I find it kind of funny that here in Proverbs chapter 30 and verse number 4, maybe funny is not the right word, but, uh, but not coincidental either, but that God did it on purpose. He says, what's his son's name in verse number 4? And he goes on to reassure us in chapter, or verse number 5 that every word of God is pure. There's so many verses that substantiate the fact that Jesus Christ is God in our Bible. And there's many other verses, versions rather, that, that attack the deity of Jesus Christ. In the Gospel of John, it, it, Jesus said many, many times, he said, uh, he said, my father, which is in heaven. And he goes on, he says, my father. And many of the versions, they take out my, just that little word, and they say, the father. And Jesus is speaking, he says, the father. No, 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 he's, he's Jesus' father. And it's right for Jesus to say, my father, not the father, because he can claim him as his father because he is God. And so uh, there's always those subtle attacks on the very deity of Jesus Christ. But I'm saying this, that every word of God is pure. I love the second part. We see the purity of God's word. But the second part of that verse, he says, he is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. Verse number four, we saw how powerful God is. Listen, there's nothing better than knowing that God will will protect those that are putting their trust in him. And they're looking at the word of God and they're saying... Just like it says in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. Listen, if we're trusting in him, uh, that, that listen, he'll be a shield unto us. He will protect us. He will help us. And he'll be our, our strength. Uh, the Psalms goes on and on. He is our shield and our buckler and our high tower that we would run to. And, and he's our protector. You look at how powerful God is and how big. God is in verse number four and you'll find hey he is a wonderful God and he's a he's a shield he's a protector to those that will put their trust in him we find in verse number six I touched on a little bit he says add thou not unto his words lest he reprove thee we find that the word of God cannot be improved upon cannot be added unto. The Bible is very clear. He goes on in the book of Revelation. He says, uh, don't take away. And he says in Matthew, not one jot nor tittle will pass away until uh, all will be fulfilled. And, and he's saying, listen, the word of God is perfect just as it is. We don't need to add to it. We don't need to take away from it. Hey, And even when we're teaching, we need to be careful that we stick to the, the, the true word of God and we don't add our own opinion. Sometimes uh, if I if I have an opinion, I'll say, hey, this is my opinion, this is what I think. Other than that, we try and teach the Word of God and we try and be pure to what the Word of God is trying to teach to us. And as we look at this, we can see that uh, Agar was saying in verses 2 and 3, hey, I'm inadequate. In verse number 4, he's saying God is immense and He's big and He's powerful. And we find in verse number uh, 5 and 6, he's saying, listen, uh, the importance of the Word of God. And what he's saying is, If you look at me, I'm of no value. But if you look at God, (coughs) you'll see how great God is. You look in the Word of God, (coughs) you'll see how good (coughs) God is in His Word. (coughs) And He's stressing, (coughs) I'm not sick. I don't know what I got. A frog in my throat. throat) But he's saying here, in verse number five and six, the word of God is important. And it's something that we ought to spend time in. And so he's saying, hey, I'm inadequate as a teacher. I'm inadequate as a preacher. I'm not uh, as learned as maybe I should be. I- I'm not as, as, uh, as intelligent and, and, and as wise as maybe I ought to be. But listen, I want to point you to God who is all-powerful, who is all-wise, who is all-knowing, who is all-caring. I want to point you to the Word of God that is pure in every word. You don't have to doubt the Word of God. You don't have to uh, wonder, well, I wonder if this was really in the Word of God or was this meant to be or was this, no, every Word of God is pure and every Word of God is perfect and it's there uh, so that you can put your trust and faith in the words of God. I love the verse, Psalm 138, verse number 2, I will worship towards thy holy temple. Uh, I got to go back and, and, and read it. Just back a little ways here. Psalm 138 and verse number 2 says, I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth, for thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. You wouldn't know the name of God if it hadn't been written down in the word of God. You wouldn't know who God is and why he created the world if you didn't have the word of God. And what he's saying is, hey, I may be inadequate, but God is not. I may, be, I may be unlearned, but God's Word is full of wisdom. And you can grab wisdom, and you can grab intelligence, and you can grab knowledge from the Word of God. And don't try and add to the Word of God. It's sufficient just like it is, and He will reprove those who, who uh, uh, try to add to it. Maybe you feel insignificant. Maybe you feel inadequate. Understand that God doesn't use us because of our great abilities. God doesn't look down and say, oh, that's Shane Rice. I'm going to use that guy. No, he doesn't do that. He's saying, I'm looking for vessels that are just willing. That'll say, you know what? I'll be used. I might be more brutish than any man. I might have not the understanding of a man. I, I'm, I might neither have learned wisdom nor have the knowledge But God is willing to use people that would say, hey God, here I am. Just a simple vessel. I might not be the greatest. I might not be the smartest. I might be stubborn and hard-headed. But listen, God can use you if you'll allow him to. I love looking at the disciples in the New Testament. It amazes me. You look at Peter. You want to talk about hard-headed, brutish, somebody who doesn't learn real quick, that was the Apostle Peter. But I tell you what, God used him. You look at somebody that's laid back, that's quiet. I just kind of picture the the Apostle John, the disciple John, the beloved disciple. Somebody that probably didn't say hardly two words in, in three years that he was with Jesus. But he was always there. He was quiet, but he was always with the Lord. And God can, you, you talk about two extremes. You take Peter and you take John and then you take the Apostle Paul who was bold and, and outspoken and probably uh, as hard-headed as Peter and, and God used him in a mighty way and God can use you. You say, well, I'm inadequate. I'm insufficient. Listen, Agur was inadequate. He was insufficient. He said, I, I don't feel like I'm anybody. But God said, but he said, hey, God is bigger than I am and God can use you. And God's Word, hey, if you've got the Word of God, you got everything you need right there. Between that and Him. I heard an illustration, I'll leave you with this. And it kind of breaks down, but <clears throat> if you think of yourself as little value, and if you take a piece of paper and you put a zero on the paper and you think, well, that's me, I'm inadequate. And you think, well, that zero really doesn't have any, any value, especially if you put yourself before God. And you say, well, I'm more important. than you put God as a number one, because God is a number one. And you put zero one, yeah, you have no value. But you put God as first in your life, and you put God first, the number one, and then you put the zero after that, God gives you value in your life. He makes you usable. He makes you have some value in your life. Because he's that great of a God and he's given us his word that we can use, that we can depend upon. And so I hope and pray that that's a help and a blessing to you as we look at Agar and his wisdom that he imparts to us for this chapter. As we stand our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Father, we thank you that though we may see ourselves very inadequate just as Agar did... God, perhaps we view ourselves as brutish, perhaps we view ourselves as not very intelligent, not very wise, not very knowledgeable even in the things of God. But God, I'm amazed over and over and over in your word how you take man upon man upon man and use them in many ways. Way back in the Old Testament with Moses, Elijah, Aaron, God, we could go on and on, Joshua and her and all the Old Testament saints and David, and we could go on about how you used so many people. Some were poor. Some were hard-headed. Some were not very well-schooled. Others were the wisest men in the world, such as Solomon. Talented people people of all walks of life. But God, when they put you first, and they saw how important you were and how important your word was, you added value to their life. God, I pray that you'd help us to see how immense and great you are and how important your word is. And God, if we'll put you first in our life, God, how we can be used to help, to reach, to pray for other people. God, I pray that you would just bless this lesson that you've given out of your word. We'll thank you for it. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. As we have a short hymn of invitation.